Take your Bible with me and open to 1 Peter chapter 4. Yes, we are in chapter 4 today. Uh, Peter, who was uh, speaking last week some, some interesting but difficult to understand things. For instance, Jesus preaching to spirits imprisoned. Uh, but it ended with a wonderful passage that he has gone into heaven. He's at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. It's very cosmic, very heavenly, very powerful, and we give thanks for that. But in doing that, Peter now this week will be turning his attention back to the hearers, back to us. First, remember, Peter is writing to Christians in the uh, northern provinces of Asia Minor. Yes, that's, that's modern-day Turkey, where Pastor Allen's going to be next week. Uh, not exactly where I'm at. These are along the Black Sea on the northern part of that great Turkish peninsula that in ancient times was called Anatolia, the home of the ancient Hittites, and later the Byzantine Empire was at the heart of that area. Uh, the early church and all the church councils that... Uh, worked out what orthodox theology is they all took place there so much of what we think of as the holy land normally we think well that's the modern nation of israel and a little bit on the transjordan side in the modern nation of jordan and yeah they were down in egypt for a little while so we'll count a little bit of egypt too but the uh, new testament the the lands of the new testament include turkey and greece and italy and paul shared his heart's desire to take the good news of the gospel all the way to spain so all around the mediterranean sea we see the lands of the bible peter is writing <clears throat> to he is writing to those christians in these northern provinces because he has heard they are under persecution there is opposition and he's going to even mention in passing today that christians who have heard the gospel and have accepted christ have been losing their lives they've lost their lives in these provinces now these are not one of the great persecutions like the uh, persecution of diocletian that you read about where uh, christians are are being sacrificed in the arenas this is more common these are uh, local persecutions, local governors and Roman proconsuls, uh, usually at the uh, uh, urging on of opponents <clears throat> of Christianity. Sometimes it was uh, the local synagogue leaders. Sometimes, as we saw in the book of Acts in Ephesus, people who felt Christians were taking away focus or even money from local religious temples like the happened in Ephesus, a riot against Christians. It's a local persecution, but they're coalescing. There's more and more of them. And so that's given us Peter's theme for the entire book that Christians need to see ourselves as sojourners. We're on a journey through this world. We're not home yet. Our home, as Hebrews chapter 11 said, is a distant country. We see it yet at a distance. We have a heavenly home. And that is where we really are citizens. And on the way there through this life, we are not always going to fit in. We're just not. We're not going to fit. Perhaps we did at one time, especially if we came to know Jesus as adults. And he, not us, but he, by his Holy Spirit, begin to make changes in our lives to remodel us he's given us a new heart he's put his spirit within and our lives begin to reflect that as we follow jesus walking in his footsteps we become a little bit more like our lord day by day 
And that's sometimes going to have pushback, something that I'm sure many, if not all of us, have experienced. Now, I've referenced it a number of times because it fits this theme. Jesus said, this is not anything that should surprise you. Don't treat it as unusual. In John chapter 15, the Lord himself speaks to this and why it takes place. Jesus said to his disciples, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. You no longer belong to the world, the cosmos, that is the, the, the world system the, apart from God, the world apart from faith in God. You don't belong to that world anymore. Jesus said he's chosen you. He's called you out of it and you don't quite fit in anymore. I've called this message the stranger. When we think of a stranger, we think of somebody who shows up unannounced that doesn't fit in and nobody knows who they are and they, they look over their shoulder at them. They don't trust them. They don't understand them. But the reality the scripture teaches is that in this world, we're the strangers. We used to belong, but we've been called out of it. Following Christ, there's going to be aspects in our lives and places, some much more than others, where you're treated as somebody strange you're strange because you're different now how do people treat others with differences not always that well they don't trust them they fear them and it's a very short step from fear to dislike to hatred to persecution and peter says some of the believers have already crossed over that because remember they don't live in a secular society there are no atheists in Peter's world that he's writing to them, everybody belongs to some religious group. And if you're just a good Roman, you worship the emperor. By this time, you were called to, to uh, give, give not only uh, political, political support, but religious support. The Roman Senate had elevated the Roman emperors to the status of a god. And to be a good citizen, a good, good fellow Roman citizen in these world, you needed to... You needed to worship the emperor. Christians had a problem with that. So they were the strangers. They were different. Friends, today, we're in a world not entirely religious, though I would argue that everybody has some type of faith. The rankest atheist has certain tenets they believe, and those tenets aren't provable. At the core, they take things on faith. But this this world of uh, multiculturalism and uh, all different faiths, you think it would be uh, easy to just to get along, go along to get along, but it's not. Oftentimes you may still become the focus of somebody's opposition because you're different. Now we're going to look at that in First Peter as Peter talks about that in the first six verses of chapter 4. First point Peter makes though is how we're different is that we're different because there is a different focus in our lives. Our eyes are set on Jesus. Our lives are lived for others. It's no longer for ourself. The law of the jungle no longer applies to us. We seek a different focus. And when you do that from the heart, 
you're going to be different. Here's what Peter says, beginning in chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, remember he talked about Jesus dying for us, preaching to spirits in prison, being elevated and ascending to God's right hand where he rules today. Because of what Jesus went through, Peter continues, Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude. Because he who has suffered in his body is done with sin. As a result, he does not live the rest of his earthly life for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. Now you look at that and say, it sounds good at first hearing, but it, it's a little difficult to follow if you understand. There's a couple things in this passage that it's a little difficult to follow and we have to understand what Peter is saying. What is all of this about? Well, we know what it means to arm yourself with the same attitude as Jesus. He's saying, and that's a military term, he's saying it's an arms race. Arm yourself with spirit for spiritual war, arm yourselves with Jesus' attitude, the same attitude Jesus has towards sin, not a fan of it. He's not a fan of it. <laughs> he knows it's poison. He knows it's destroyed God's most precious creation, mankind. He knows it separates us from Him for all eternity. There's nobody that goes to a godless eternity on the basis of what God does. It's for what we do. So Peter says, arm yourself with the attitude of Jesus who suffered in the flesh. Now he uses in Greek grammar, I'm not going to get technical, but the second one where he refers to us because you have also suffered in the flesh. That's in the perfect tense. That's something that happened in the past but still has its effect on us today. Suffered in the flesh. We weren't crucified. We... We, we have illnesses, we get sick, we get old, we do suffer in the flesh. But what are you talking about here, Peter? Peter, remember, is not the author of this. This is very likely Peter is transcribing this through a secretary, Silas, or somebody else who knows the Greek language better than he does. Second Peter, written very differently, Rough Greek, probably Peter himself wrote that, put pen to, or quill to parchment when that happened. So what Peter is saying here is that just as Jesus died, broke the power of sin and death, you who now through faith are in Christ, you're done with sin too. It no longer has any power over you. None. Oh, we still sin. There's not a day goes by that we don't stumble. But we don't have to. By God's grace, we've been freed from the power of sin and death. We're not sinless this side of heaven, but we seek day by day by the grace of God to sin less. If you understand what I'm saying. Paul gets at this in a wonderful passage in the book of Romans, the great baptism passage romans chapter 6 now when paul says baptism he's not talking about what we do behind the cross up there in that tank of water he's not talking about physically baptizing which means to dunk to immerse in water 
Paul's talking about salvation. When by faith you trust Jesus as your Savior, your position before God is now in Christ. You're baptized into Christ through faith. When God sees you, He sees you in Jesus. Jesus died for the sins of mankind. It's paid for. And He broke the power of sin and death through resurrection. So now you in Christ, His death counts for you. This is what Paul says In Romans chapter 6, midway through verse 2, Paul says this. We... In Christ, we died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We were therefore buried with Him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. If we have been united with Him like this in His death, we will certainly also be united with Him in His resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with Him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Do you get that? That's the exact point Peter is making here. Anyone who's died has been freed from sin. For the wages of sin is death. Jesus on the cross paid the price for our sin. We've been freed from it. So we are set free. We're free indeed. That's a difference between us and the rest of the world. Apart from Christ, we are slaves to sin and death. We can't help it. The very best of humankind are ranked sinners in God's eyes. Our righteousness is like filthy rags to a holy God. But through faith, we're set free. We're set free indeed. Not only in Christ are we free from sin, but we're adopted into God's very family. In reality, we become the children of God. In 1 John chapter 3, first three verses, the Apostle John wrote, How great is the love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us, here's talking about being strangers again, the reason the world doesn't know us is that it did not know Him. Dear friends, now we are children of God. And what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him. For we shall see Him as He is. Everyone who has this hope in Him purifies Himself just as He is pure. Do you get that? We're free from sin. So we seek to live a godly life, to be more like Jesus. Because He is pure. We want to be like the Lord. I love quotes from people closer to the Lord, smarter, wiser than myself. It's interesting. I didn't realize it until after I put the message together that every quote today is from a person named Charles. Charles, the three Charlies. The first of these three Charles is the Prince of Preachers, Charles Haddon Spurgeon. What does Spurgeon say when it comes to this? 
He says, you will never glory in God till first of all, God has killed your glorying in yourself. But if we've died to sin through faith in Christ, we're set free to glorify God. That makes you different. You're going to stand out. Or we should. We trust to. We hope to. Another difference that will make you strange, make you different from those who don't yet know the Lord, is changes and choices that we make. And our behavior reflects that. We make different choices in our behavior. I trust we do. If we truly believe something and we arm ourselves with the same attitude Jesus had to sin, to break the power of sin and death, and we don't choose to live in it according to the way of life we knew before we knew Christ, we make different choices in regard to our behavior. And this comes from knowing Jesus. This doesn't make us a Christian. Don't get me wrong. It's not by going to church you become a Christian. Well, you've made a choice. You have different behavior. Some people are very religious, but unless they know the Lord and He lives in their heart and He's the one molding their choices and behavior, it's just human religiosity. But those who seek to follow Jesus and love with His love, their behavior is going to look different. Peter says as much in 1 Peter chapter 4, beginning and picking up in verse 3. Let's see verse 3 and 4. Peter, reflecting on the past lives, the pre-Christian lives of his hearers, says this, For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry, they think it strange that you do not plunge in with them to the same flood of dissipation and they heap abuse on you. <laughs> I love these verses. It's what we call in Scripture a catalog verse where there's a catalog like the fruit of the Spirit or the catalog of the fruit of sin, the fruit of flesh. This is the negative catalog. Peter just off the top of his head names a lot of things that non-christian society in his day was known for now these dissipation carousing drunkenness orgies you think oh man that's awful remember when they lived a lot of this is connected to their temple worship they had temple prostitutes they had temples to dionysius and his festivals were the were the most well attended because he was the god of wine and they truly felt that when you drank wine, the God possessed you because anybody who gets drunk, they're not themselves anymore. And that's why we call hard drinks spirits because they feel you're possessed by another spirit to the ancient world. That's a religious experience. And all of the, all of the terrible things and all of the, the damage that comes from abusing those substances, this was legitimate in his time. This is the world they lived in. But now, God's followers walk a different path. And not only do they stand out, but people thank them strange because of it, and they abuse them over it. It's no different today. Think of even a little town like we live in. 
you can just be one of the gang. You can go along, be on your third marriage because you've wrecked your previous relationships through cheating in one way or another. And, you know, you have all of the same vices that everybody else. Don't don't look at your search history on your computer. That's a terrible thing. And you're well known by uh, what you drink or smoke or get along with. And you're just wonderfully accepted. But heaven help you if the grace of God gets hold of your life. And he starts to make changes. And you begin to make healthier choices. More loving, selfless choices. And you put the well-being of your spouse and your neighbors and others ahead of yourself. You don't fit in so well. And those who were once your best of friends distance themselves. They begin to talk about you when you're not around. You know they're all talking about you. This conversation just stops when you come into the lunchroom at work. You're not the, the great friend they used to enjoy because you were just like them. It's hard on them and it's hard on you. They judge who you are and sadly we often judge them and think we know everything about them. In adult Sunday school today, we got a good dose of that. How to share the grace of God. Extend acceptance without extending approval of every life choice somebody makes. Love people and care for them. But we no longer run with the gang. We no longer plunge into the flood of dissipation and we pay for it. Now some people, they love to talk about the past. Peter is bringing up a sensitive topic. He says, you were once part of the pagans. Now, I'm not a real fond of that translation in the New International, pagans, because that's the Greek word ethnos, where we get ethnic, ethnic ethnicity. It simply means people, nations. It's often used in Scripture to refer to there's Jews and ethnos, Jews and Gentiles. It's being used for the people of the world apart from Christ, who don't know God through faith in Jesus. Pagan, well, that's a certain type of unbeliever. Those are people in our society that involve themselves in Wicca and the occult. That's not what's in view here. When you fit in with the pagans, you are just one of the ethnos, one of the people, but you don't fit anymore. So when Peter talks about their carousing and orgies and drunkenness, you know it's not a comfortable topic with them because that was normal life for them at one time. But we're told here to remember. Peter says, remember, you've spent enough time in that in the past. That was your past. You can't change it. And there is room for remembering those pasts. For instance, in Deuteronomy chapter 5, we're told to remember. Verse 15 says, Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. Reflecting on our past as slaves, we now celebrate by the grace of God, our freedom. We can't forget where we came from and those we left behind. We need to have hearts that are soft for them and love them, care for them. Not look down our nose at them, suddenly think we're somehow better than them. In fact, in Sunday school, we talked about the fact that Christians of all people, 
we recognize that we're merely sinners saved by the grace of God. As Paul says, I'm the chief of sinners. That those people aren't worse than us. In fact, many of them better people than us. But they still need Jesus. They still need Jesus. Ephesians, Paul talks about that. We were under God's condemnation at one time. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul puts it so clearly in the first three verses. He says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air and the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. Our fallen sinful nature separated us from God and His wrath against sin which destroys and kills and damages His creation separates mankind from Him. That wrath was upon us. It doesn't make us proud. It makes us thankful. We celebrate the grace of God. And we would love to share it with those around us who don't know Him yet. Romans chapter 12, again, verse 2. Paul says, Of that worldly system, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's what, what's God's will, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Peter says we get to spend the rest of our lives pursuing God's good, pleasing, and perfect will. It's not we're going to miss out all the fun, oh man, the drinking and the carousing and, and all of that. How can I watch a, a hockey game without all of, my, all of my beer and friends and anger and party and celebration? No, there's a way to enjoy life. In fact, you enjoy it more. God's will is perfect. He's designed it just for you. It's perfect. You're not missing anything. You're receiving the best. You're receiving the best from the hand of God who loves you. By His Word, the truth of His Word, the power of His Spirit, the love of your church family, God opens a new world to you. The second of our Charles goes by Chuck. Charles R. Swindoll, Chuck Swindoll. Something Chuck Swindoll says, your call will become clear as your mind is transformed by the reading of Scripture and the internal work of God's Spirit. The Lord never hides His will from us. In time, as you obey the call first to follow, your destiny will unfold before you. The difficulty will lie in keeping other concerns from diverting your attention. And isn't that true? God's good, pleasing, and perfect will for us, we get sidetracked so often by the concerns of this world. But this world is not our home, Peter reminds us. We're sojourners. We have a mission. We are on mission with Jesus in this world. And then we go home. Something that Chuck Swindoll mentions is that your destiny and your direction is different from those around us that we no longer fit in with. 
that to them we may seem strange or a stranger. And that's one of the differences we finish with today, that we, we are different because we face a different eternal destiny. We face a different eternal destiny. Hebrews, the book of Hebrews says, for it is appointed unto man once to die, and after that, the judgment. We all face judgment. Judgment begins with the family of God. But our judgment is to faithfulness, what we did with the gifts that God lovingly gave us, how God can reward His children. He seeks to shower reward on you for a faithful life well lived. But for those who don't know Jesus, it's a very different story. Judgment truly is the great and terrible day of the Lord. The days of sunshine and fun and all of those days are done. They have no prospect except a final separation from the God who loves them. And it's that which drives us on. We're willing to take the teasing, the separation, the pushback, whatever comes from those who don't know Christ because we know where they're headed. We love them too much to see them go there. We are God's missionaries in their lives. They're not in some far-flung country where a professional missionary will cross their path. They have you as a neighbor, as somebody on the same work crew, as a fellow student in the same class. God has sent you there to show His grace to them. We finish this passage, 1 Peter chapter 4, beginning in verse 5. We continue. Peter says of these people separated from God, but they will have to give account to Him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel was preached, even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to men in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the Spirit. Peter says, judgment is coming for the quick and the dead. That's the passage. This is the passage that that old King James phrase comes from. God who will judge the quick and the dead, the living and the dead. Judgment is coming. It's coming for everyone. This judgment we know is from God. But when the Apostle Paul was in Athens, the center, not of political power in his day, that was in Rome, but Athens was the center of Greek philosophy, of human wisdom, the Apostle Paul went to the Acropolis near the Parthenon, and there was a great platform where the wisest philosophers would meet. They called themselves the Areopagus, and he had an opportunity to speak to them, and that message is recorded for us in Acts chapter 17. At the end of that message, the Apostle Paul referring even to these brilliant philosophers that they were under God's wrath and judgment was coming, Paul said this of that judgment. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man 
He has appointed. He has given proof of this to all men by raising Him from the dead. Paul says that God the Father has placed judgment into the hands of His Son Jesus, whom at one time we judged and found Him lacking and crucified Him. But He was the Lamb of God. And one day He will be the Lion of Judah and His great white throne judgment will judge the living and the dead. All will stand before His righteous judgment. We often forget that. We often live our lives in a type of amnesia. You know, if we have our Bibles with us and are in a Bible study, oh yeah, judgment. Yeah, I don't like to read that part of Revelation very often. But we have to. Because those people who may joke about you and and we, we need to take it. We need to take it. They... They have fun at our expense sometime, but we'd hold them against them. We used to be part of that group. We still love them. They're our friends. They're our family. But what awaits each man, woman, and child is justice. Not mankind's justice. Not this fallible, broken system that seeks to bring justice, but true justice based on reality. The book of Revelation in chapter 20 speaks of the great day of judgment, the white throne judgment. In Revelation chapter 20, remind you of it beginning in verse 11. Then I saw, John writes, a great white throne and him who was seated on it. Earth and sky fled from his presence and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and the books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them and each person was judged according to what he had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire and the lake of fire is the second death. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. We're told that that's the Lamb's book of life. The Lamb of God, Jesus. And only those who have turned from their sin and given their heart to Christ in faith have their name written in the Lamb's book of life. For we are in Christ. We have died to sin. And we are now free to live out God's good and pleasing will in the rest of our lives. And part of that will is to know that judgment is coming and to share the grace of God with those around us. You're not all called to be preachers. That's not all of our gifts. We're not great evangelists, but we can tell our story and live the life of God's love in front of people. And they'll see our attitudes and our actions and ask, why do you have hope? When things are hard for you, you respond differently. I'd like something like that. We pray that God will bring these opportunities across our path. Oh, yeah, the third Chuck, the third Charles. He passed away and went to be with the Lord in the year 2013. And he was the founder of an amazing ministry called Calvary Chapel. His name was Chuck Smith. Something Chuck Smith said, God's Word is the only reliable guideline for living. Following your heart 
without the leading of His Word and His Spirit, will lead you to His judgment. That's what the world seeks to do to follow our sinful hearts. God's Word and God's Spirit, they open our eyes that Jesus alone is the way, the truth, and the life. You go from this place. Every day you're going to meet people who are going toward a godless eternity. They are objects. Their sinful nature makes them objects of God's wrath. We know that because that's how we were born and raised. We were objects of God's wrath. But we heard that Jesus came to reconcile sinners to a holy God. And in believing that, that becomes our message. We finish 2 Corinthians chapter 5. The Apostle Paul says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. (laughs) You're a stranger. You're a new creation. And what do we do? Further down, verse 20, We therefore... We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making His appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made Him who had no sin to be sin for us. And through faith in Him, we could be dead to sin and alive in Christ. That's the good news. Take it with you wherever you go this week. Be an example of it. Not of somebody looking down their nose at others thinking we're better. But sinners saved by God's grace. Set free to do His good will in the world around us. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank You for Jesus' love. His love which was shown to us in its fullness as He took our sin, each sin that we ever would commit, and He paid for them on the cross by His death, the Holy Lamb of God dying in the place of sinners. Lord, through faith in Jesus and what He did for us, we can be born again. Our old nature, Lord, replaced by a new heart, adopted into the very family of God set free from sin and death to live a life focused on God's will. Lord, protect us from those things that would lead us astray, to waste our time, our precious time in this life, Lord. Help us to keep our eyes set on Jesus. Help us to be willing to share His love every day with those around us. As we make choices putting God first and others before ourselves, Lord, may we be salt and light in our homes, our communities, our workplaces. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Go in grace.